Hello out there. It's Jolene with Ghost Towns and History of Montana. Thanks for joining us once again. Today's story, Gold Seekers Hacked Perilous Wagon Trail Through Mountains, coursing Cook City Road of today. This story appeared in the Montana Oil and Mining Journal, October 10th, 1936. Prominent among the pioneers who have helped mold the destiny of the state are Mr. and Mrs. John Allen of Cook City. John Allen is noncommittal concerning his adventurous years because, he says, he has never done anything worth talking about. But for half a century, he has shared the young hopes of that little, isolated, rich mining center, then its hectic struggles for existence, its aftermath of despondency when the towering snow-capped mountains shut it off from the outside world. And now, with something of the first feverish activity returning to the town, he and Mrs. Allen are still there sharing its renewed hopes. In 1870, the first party of prospectors braved the uncharted mountains horseback, where now tourists roll smoothly over the scenic Cook City Highway. They chanced to dip down into a canyon near Soda Butte Creek and found rich float. They broadcasted their find to the outside world, and from then on, intermittently, in flurries of excitement that have ebbed and flowed. All the mountains surrounding Soda Butte have been combed for mineral ore. News of the vast wealth to be had for the taking in far-off western mountains reached across the continent and seeped into the state of Rhode Island where a young man, John Allen by name, was itching for adventure in the wild land of Indians and gold. He was then about 20 years old. 18 years before, a girl named Caroline Martin Price had been born near London, England. Fate decreed that she was to journey across the sea, then across the American continent, to become Mrs. John Allen and link her destiny with the adventurous young man in the young land. When John Allen, back in Rhode Island, first heard rumors of gold in Western Hills, the region about Soda Butte was still a part of the land reserved by the government for the Crow Indians. Not until 1882, following ratification of a treaty between the government and the Crows, was the territory officially opened for settlement and mineral location. However, six years before that ratification, John Allen had started for the West, traveling by train as far as steel rails extended and then by horseback. He reached Deadwood, South Dakota on the 18th day of May, 1876, about a month before the Custer Massacre. For five years he prospected in the Black Hills, always clinging to the determination of sometime making his first young dreams come true. And come true they did. In the spring of 1881, still heeding those persistent rumors of gold farther west, in a region almost inaccessible to white man, he left for Cook City, stopping briefly at Miles City and then at Bozeman. Both cities, he recalls, were nice little towns even then. In May 1882, 
he may be said to have arrived at Cook City. More exactly, he reached a spot at Soda Butte, just below the present site of Cook City. From there, with incredible patience and back-breaking labor, he drove a four-horse team and wagon loaded with provisions through the canyon to Cook City. Often, he had to dig into the side of the mountain and level a narrow, winding ledge to keep his wagon from tipping over. He walked more than he rode, trudging ahead with pick and spade, digging out a roadbed for his wagon. And so, although by this time, many prospectors, either afoot, horseback, or with pack trains, had ventured into the mining region, John Allen was the first man to reach it with team and wagon. He broke the first wagon road from Soda Butte into Cook City, doubtless blazing almost the identical trail over which today thousands of automobiles and trucks travel into the park. He was at heart a prospector. He had come west to hunt for gold. Oh, yes, he says casually. He was more or less successful. He located several of the well-known mines near Cook City, the O'Hara Mine, the War Eagle, and the McKinley. But the intoxicating thrills of the search for gold did not blind John Allen to other possibilities for wealth in that small corner of the earth, which is said to include more than 7,000 mining claims. By 1882, the smelter built by the Eastern Montana Mining and Smelting Company had been in operation five years. To operate the smelter, the firm was manufacturing its own charcoal and coke, fuel from which had previously been shipped from Pennsylvania to Bozeman or Livingston and then hauled into Cook City by wagons and pack horses. The manner in which they made their charcoal as related by John Allen, is interesting. Pine trees were in abundance, for the mountains were covered with untouched forests. Workmen stacked great piles of green timber, covered it with wet branches, set it afire, and left it to smolder for days, possibly weeks, until the timber had been consumed and quantities of wood charcoal had been deposited. In the canyons, large circles of smudge still may be seen. Speaking eloquently of the energetic resourcefulness of early-day men separated from the industrial outside world. By 1882, with the smelter running full blast and rumors of fabulous finds reaching as far as foreign countries, the inevitable stampede started. John Allen Alert to golden opportunities, erected the first hotel. In 1883, a large white frame building, which is still one of the interesting landmarks in that historic little log cabin town. Much of the labor on the first frame building in Cook City he did with his own hands. The material which went into it and the furnishings for the many rooms had to be transported by freight teams from Bozeman. The structure, when completed, was a masterpiece in achievement and stood in its white, proud glory on the main street, offering its hospitality to prospectors from the hills, to gold seekers, adventurers, and numbered among its guests, many foreigners lured to the new continent by visions of wealth.
the Allens accommodated as many as 150 guests in a day. That was in the adolescent era of Cook City, when the town boasted a population of 1,200 inhabitants with 14 saloons and 400 voters. That was when men like John Allen, who, having played so big a part in creating their town, looked forward to the Northern Pacific's proposed right-of-way through the park. Such a line completed would link them with the outside world and furnish transportation for the ore, which must be taken out by pack horses or freight teams to Bozeman or Livingston. The destiny of Cook City with its 7,000 rich mines hung upon the decision of the government regarding the NP's right-of-way through the park. Citizens of the little mining town, who had staked all on its future, waited and hoped. Already, Northern Pacific workmen were in the park, surveying, laying out roadbeds. Mr. Armitage and other employees were making continuous round trips from Billings with provisions and equipment. Then suddenly, all activities ceased. The road was not to be. And gradually, the bustling town settled into lethargy and dwindled until it has today only about 250 population. The cost of shipping ore was too high to prove profitable. Undaunted miners still worked their claims, but in 1908, the smelter was shut down. John Allen says, ever since it's been quiet. Before that, it was pretty active. Of late, however, Cook City has been pleasantly awakened from its long somnolence. With the new Silvergate Highway running straight through Main Street to the park, along the trail where 12 team freight wagons loaded with ore once trundled past the very door of the Allen Hotel, the town's dream of prosperity has materialized. Today, ore is being taken from the mines at the rate of 25 to 300 dollars per ton, and about five trips daily can be made. One truckload after another, filled with sacks of concentrates, are seen rolling over the mountain highway. Old mines are being reopened. Old prospectors, living in little log cabins built 50 years ago, are filled with renewed zest as they work. Along the zigzag streets, beside the time-darkened cabins weighted by the years, new buildings are being hastily erected. One hears everywhere the click of hammers, the purr of motors, and the rumble of trucks. The Allen Hotel, which once served 150 guests daily, seems withdrawn from this sudden spurt of hope. It has served its time. The floors tipper bulge. The narrow, lopping stairs have been worn thin by the tramp of booted feet of 50 years ago. The office, however, is still open for business. There, doubtless, many men once gathered to examine samples of quartz and to discuss their finds in terms of staggering wealth. And back of the desk, always courteously ready to serve, any chance guest is the proprietor, John Allen, who for 50 years has loyally linked his destiny with that of the town he aided in creating. Mrs. Allen is with him as she has been since their marriage in 1896. 
Mr. Allen doesn't talk much because he remarks, he hasn't anything interesting to say. He never did anything worth mentioning. Mrs. Allen thinks differently. It is men like John, she says, with the gentle firmness of a thoroughbred who have laid the foundations for the development of the West. He blazed the first wagon road into Cook City. He was the second postmaster here. Half his life he has served as justice of the peace. Just as Cook City has fought for its existence, so has he fought loyally for its welfare. The new scenic highway, in cutting down to a necessary lower level through the town, has left the Allen Hotel stranded high above the street with no room for steps for the convenience of guests. So stupendous and expensive an undertaking as the Cook City Road could not concern itself with the interests of an individual, even though that individual once blazed the trail which the highway has followed. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Be sure to follow us on Facebook. We are Ghost Towns, Ghosts and History of Montana. You can find us on Instagram, MT Ghost Towns. And until next time, take care out there.